Living Corporate is brought to you by Canaries. Let me tell you about Canaries. Canaries is a tech company formed in 2018 by black founders who experienced inequities in the corporate world like most of us in the workplace. They saw typical diversity initiatives, but knew that to create systemic change, diversity, equity, and inclusion needed to be done differently. They're still ahead of the curve, focusing on the E and the I using a data-driven approach. Think Canary in the Coal Mine. The name is a nod to the canaries coal miners used to bring into mines to determine if the work environment was safe or undesirable. That's what they do for companies. They help you find the folks you need to listen to, the canaries, who will help you diagnose, measure, and attack your DEI challenges. Canaries has your back. Check them out at www.canaries.com backslash employer. That's www.kanarys.com backslash employer. Living Corporate is brought to you by Black Men in Tech. Black Men in Tech's mission is to elevate the voice of black men in the technology space by offering year-round engagement opportunities and philanthropic contributions for people and the black community, the neighborhood. In the tech industry, black men regularly struggle to access networking and career advancement opportunities. At Black Men in Tech 2021, they are partnering with their allies to create a safer space where black men can share their experiences authentically. Through this effort, Black Men in Tech hopes to share knowledge that can be used by black attendees to overcome race-based obstacles while also offering non-black allies the chance to learn how they can be more supportive of their melanated colleagues. To learn more about the Black Men in Tech conference that will be happening on June 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, check them out at blackmenintech.com. That's B-L-K-M-E-N-I-N-T-E-C-H dot com. Black Men in Tech. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate, and I'm really honored to say that we have developed authentic relationships with people who happen to work at some of the biggest companies in the world. That's really cool to me, right? Like, it's not on, like, some Hollywood stuff. It's not even on, like, some transactional, you give me this, I give you that. I have authentic relationships and living corporate has authentic relationships with some cool people. And that's not me. Right. So that's why I said I then I said living corporate, because, yes, I have some relationships that I've been able to develop through living corporate. But so does Amy. So does Neil. So does Brittany. So does Mike and BG. Right. So does the, the break room team, Dr. Coleman, Dr. Davis. Dr. B, like plenty of people um, that we've been able to build these really great relationships with. I love it when people come back to Living Corporate and we have more than one conversation. That lets me know that the love is real, right? That's an indicator that the love is real. So shout out to all of our guests that have been on more than once, right? Howard Bryant, Minda Hearts, I see you. Uh, Shout out on the book that's coming. Much love. Make sure y'all cop that. Mindy, you got to come back so we can talk about the book. All right. You hear me. I know you listen. You hear this. We're going to talk. We got to we gotta plug your book. Um, yo, but for real, like we've had some incredible guests. And so today is special because we have Danny Gilry, um, who is uh, who's the lead, the head of uh, diversity and inclusion at Dropbox. A great conversation. Really talking about the 
the future of this space as we become more politically charged, sensitive and aware. You're seeing brands out there, companies out there that are really like just trying to sidestep all of it by being, quote unquote, apolitical, but not being political is a political choice. Right. And, and no one is not political. Right. So like there's some great conversations that we had there. And, and Danny, what I appreciate about Danny is he always comes with like fairly thoughtful answers. You can tell like he has the swag of like someone who really knows the space, but he's not like chump about it because some of y'all, I'm going to be honest, right? Like some of y'all be in this DEI space and it's like, man, you've been here so long, you're pessimistic or you're, you're really corporatized. You don't really know how to keep it real. Um, and I'm not going to blast anybody, but you know who you are. All right. Cause I'd be like, I'd be trying to hit you up and you'd be nervous. You know, you don't really want to mess with living corporate like that. Cause we're too authentic. It makes you nervous. You know, it doesn't really align with, uh, you know, messing up any type of bags you may get by making white folks comfortable. Anyway, let me calm down before I start actually getting mad. Uh, <laughs> my point is I do appreciate Danny's ability to be in this game so long while also understanding and really pushing for uh, systemic impact and change. And that's just a rare combination, for real. Like you see people cycle out of these roles or they'll cycle out company to company because, you know, it's just, it's tiring, it's toxic. It's not their fault. It's just the nature of white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism that burns people out. And so the fact that he has this level of um, endurance or stamina, as well as the courage to continue to innovate and challenge, it's a rare combination, y'all. It really is. I say this to someone who talks to a lot of different people, and uh, I'm just thankful for it. So, look, we're going to have this dope conversation with Danny. You're going to hear that in a little bit. Before we do that, we're going to tap in with Tristan. See y'all in a second. What's going on Living Corporate? It's Tristan and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. Today, let's talk about a cool way you as a leader can still host a lunch and learn for your remote team. Before the pandemic, we know that there was a large part of office culture centered around food. Coworkers built relationships, solved problems, and learned about new things all over food, strengthening a team's camaraderie and driving better teamwork. Unfortunately, as the majority of us moved toward working remotely in response to the pandemic, catered meetings and lunch and learns fell by the wayside. According to CNBC, about 45% of companies expect to maintain a hybrid workforce model throughout this year. Furthermore, with the Delta variant on the rise, many companies are delaying their return to the office altogether. So catered meals in the office may not be happening for a while, but a new alternative has popped up. For those of you with remote teams, Panera has a solution called Panera Connects. Panera Connects is a program that offers companies the ability to host catered meetings regardless of where attendees are located. The meeting host registers an event on Panera's website and a notification gets pushed to each attendee who is prompted to provide their specific order, address, and date. Panera then produces and delivers the food via its own crew or one of its third-party delivery partners and bills the host, who has the ability to add a dollar limit to each order. Panera Connect is now available to all My Panera loyalty customers and will be open to the general public later this year. 
So if you're looking to get that old thing back with your team, this may be a great way to show appreciation and work on rebuilding your collaborative culture. Check out the link in the show notes. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. At Living Corporate, we often talk about how we as black folks show up at work and how these corporate power structures impact how we show up. But we know when work ends, we come home, log off, and have to show up at home for our families and communities. And as a black man, I often turn to Let's Talk, bruh, for the real, honest, and healing conversations on black masculinity, mental health, and patriarchy. Let's Talk, bruh, or LTB, is a platform that creates content around black masculinity and the impact of patriarchy in black communities. In other words, Let's Talk, bruh, is having real conversations that black men need to hear and be a part of. Let's Talk, bruh, creates interactive, healing, and learning experiences with black men and male socialized folks of all sexual orientations and gender identities. Through their content and community-based programs, Let's Talk Bruh seeks to reduce patriarchal violence in our community and provide support to those most impacted by patriarchal violence, specifically black women, girls, femmes, queer, trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people. Tap in at letstalkbruh.com. To be clear, that's letstalkbruh.com. So brothers, what are you waiting for? Let's talk, bro. Danny, what's going on, man? Long time. Hi, Zach. It's good to be back. Hey, look, you know, it's always a pleasure to have you. I feel like, you know, it's wild because it hasn't been that long since we've had a conversation, but a lot of stuff has changed, right? Like you think about from like just the world political landscape, the, then uh, from a health perspective, we got the world kind of opening back up. I think the last time we spoke, I was not vaccinated. I got both of my shots. Uh, Pfizer fam, this is not an ad, but I am, you know, I, I'm vaxxed. And, you know, I, I also think that we're starting to see like this. We're starting to just see some camps set up right between just where these where organizations are going to stand on on DEI. I'm curious, like as we look at the landscape today and we just kind of look at the field, talk to me about what you're seeing uh, in the space and and where you see, you know, uh, let's let's not even talk about the next few years. Let's just talk about the rest of this year. What are you what are you seeing? So I think there's a range of kind of approaches to diversity, equity and inclusion. I, I think everybody realizes um, that they have to pay attention to it. So I think there's no question about that, that it's on everybody's radar. I think some, and I think everybody where, where I feel like most groups acknowledge that they need to, most organizations acknowledge they need to do something is internally. I think where things might vary, where you have kind of a spectrum of approaches, um, you have a wide range of companies that, that are, that may be different in terms of their voice externally and, and what they want to share and what they want to talk about externally for Dropbox specifically, We've we've made the choice that we still do want to engage externally. But I'll tell you one of the things that it does is that it it makes it makes things more more challenging in some ways because each each kind of situation, each challenge presents its own new nuances that are different than what it was before. And so um and so it's it's a more challenging path, but the I think the mindset of our executives at Dropbox has been that uh, we want to obviously engage internally, 
but also have a desire to to still have that connection externally to what's going on in the world. So and let me and let me ask you this, right? Talking about Dropbox, why? <laughs> and I ask, right, because I'm reading, you know, you read blogs, you read blogs. Folks, first of all, um, I don't know, man. I, feel, I don't feel like everybody has to have a blog, just like everybody has to have a podcast, but whatever. Yeah, people writing blogs, like very like long pieces about why they're not going to talk about um what they're deeming as sensitive matters or whatever the case may be. And I guess what I'm trying to figure out is why has Dropbox made a decision to not avoid those conversations in-house? That's a really good question. I think, I think it's, you know, where I think it comes from predominantly is the, is the sensibility of our executive team and, and kind of how they, how they choose to engage in the world. So there, there are two, there, there are really different types of motivations for diversity. Some can be business motivations. And a lot of times practitioners like myself and others spend a lot of time talking about the business case for diversity. Um, and I think that's an important element. It's an essential element. I think at the same time, there is, um, there is also in my years of working in this space, the organizations at least that I've seen be most successful with diversity, and I'm talking more generally, also have a also have, I think, a a true kind of core belief that diversity is the right thing to do from a moral perspective. And I think when when if, if you have both of those as your as your core beliefs, um, it makes it it makes it more challenging to not want to engage when you see something going on externally that you that you want to that you want to share about that you want to participate in in some way and so like i said it makes things more challenging because just because our executives feel that way doesn't mean that necessarily everyone in the organization agrees with that nor does everybody in the organization always agree with what we say and so that you know that poses challenges but we try to be thoughtful about it we try to we try to be consistent in terms of in terms of the types of ways that we engage and the types of issues that we engage in um, and, and continue to move in that direction. But I'd say for me, what I've seen is that it's that, it's that combination of, of knowing that yes, it's a business imperative. um, But I think there's a, there's a desire to engage in the world that comes from that, that belief that it's the right thing to do. Also, I think those two together are what make the, for the most powerful diversity and inclusion efforts. You know, and it's interesting. I think like, I think we talked about this last time we connected, you know, the power dynamic is undeniable, right? So it's challenging to consider that, or just the implications of disagreeing with, you know, your executive leadership, because we both can't stay, right? If, if you feel some way about X and I don't feel that way, okay, so then where do we go from here? And I recognize that that's uncomfortable, but shout out to y'all, you know what I mean? Because I do, I, I, what it, how it feels when you look at, and look, this is living corporate, so you ain't got to say nothing to any, I'm going to say, you got it. When you look at platforms like Coinbase or Basecamp and they make these statements around like, okay, well, these are, these are uncomfortable dialogues. I'm going to pick up my ball and go home. It's kind of like, okay, well, where does that leave? Where does that leave folks? Um, and, and where does that leave your talent? Now we saw that, we saw where it left folks. Because I want to say, like, based on the the re- just counting the resignations on social media, it was like what they said, like thirty percent of their workforce dipped um, in a fairly short period of time. But you know what? What I'm really 
what I'm really curious about just is, you know, is the sustainability of that, right? Like there was, and there's commentary even, Danny, I'm curious to get your perspective on this is like, when you exclude or bar certain conversations around um, quote unquote politics, as nebulous as that term is, you end up really taking a certain, your your organization ends up kind of shifting in a, in a certain political way. I'm curious, like, how does Dropbox see continuing conversations that may be deemed uncomfortable as um, su- as supporting or impacting its culture? So I think for us, I think a, a lot of it, so we, we talked about the values beforehand in terms of believing diversity, equity, and inclusion are the right thing to do as one of the drivers for, for some of the ways that we do things. I think the other thing that the other kind of element that we have now is we are a virtual first company. So as I mentioned the last time, what that means is roughly about 85% of people's time will be spent working at home and about 15% will be in the office. So you'll go into the office to collaborate. You wouldn't go in for you and I to have a one-on-one, but we would go in with our team for an offsite or something like that. And so that starts to create a different dynamic. What that means is that for us, I think we have to recognize that if somebody's working out of the home without that kind of physical, that regular physical distinction, that we have to account for the whole person in a much different kind of way. So for example, we brought on, and this was pre-pandemic, we actually brought on um, a service called Modern Health to give people resources and outlets um, to to work through different types of, of issues on a regular basis. And what's nice is that with the changing landscape of the world, Modern Health continues to bring up different offerings for our employees. That's an example of kind of of, of kind of how you integrate discussion with the whole person. Same with these types of discussions. I think we recognize that in a virtual first environment, we have to create an environment where we can account for the whole person, yet still focus strategically on our work. So just like anybody else, you know, we have to be a profitable company to stay in existence. So it's not as if work is still not the primary, our, our deliverables and our results are still not the primary reason why we're all here. That's still, that still is there just as, just as it is for any organization. But I think there's a recognition that, that people are going to be more than just, just their work. Now, what this does create is that we is that we have to is that we're working through things in terms of how to navigate that sometimes sometimes people might um might speak in ways that they wouldn't normally in a workplace and so that becomes kind of a a, a dynamic that you sometimes have to kind of work through and 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 to challenge people to say okay we've spent some time kind of thinking through this and addressing this to what extent are you balancing that with with what you need to deliver on to to keep us uh, to keep us all having food, shelter, and clothing. So I'm right. not saying that it's not a balancing act for all of us. Again, we're you know we're, we we are a software company first and foremost. We are a SaaS company, just like anybody else. But I think what it comes from is this desire to um, and this desire that really comes from virtual first that we have to account for the whole person in a way that we didn't before. But again, I, I'll emphasize that it doesn't come without its challenges on a regular basis. You know, anytime something new comes up, we have to think through it, kind of poke at the, poke at the challenge in different ways and then see how we want to address or approach something. You know, so you, you made a, a few statements there, you know, around, especially when it comes to 
where Dropbox sits, right? This and, and the software as a service company, and the fact that again, because your work is not, you know, you're not y'all are not a brick and mortar. And I and I think I, I really do want to kind of keep it to tech for this for the sake of this conversation. I don't believe that the future requires people to go in the office for like for like 85 to 90 percent of their jobs do you believe that like and i have theories as to why um we still are like pushing for that now i recognize there are different organizations that are um you know you know i think facebook was talking about you know three days a week and then there's some client there's some employees that are pushing back on that and and but as we think about this new world um, and 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 really what work is going to look like coming out of this global pandemic. Where do you see DNI organizations internally having to pivot or shift, if at all, um, considering that maybe some of the challenges may change are going to be changing or shifting with context being more um, homeward oriented? Right. Right. That's a great that's a great question. And the first thing I'll say, by the way, is that. I think we're all making strategic guesses. So all of us as organizations, whether it's Dropbox or any other organization, are making strategic guesses right now. And the and the data will bear out over time. I think as things open up, people are going to vote with their feet for what they want in different places. So our discussion might be different 12 months from now once the returns are in than they are today. But there are a few guesses that at least I know we're making right now. One is that we're making a bet that being virtual first will allow us to recruit a more diverse workforce because we're not limited anymore to, at least within the United States, we're not limited anymore to New York, San Francisco, Seattle, and Austin. You know, we can hire somebody from, from Chattanooga. We can hire somebody from Atlanta. We can hire somebody from Chicago. And so that, I can tell you the number of, the, the number of um, applications we're getting now for roles has skyrocketed since we've gone virtual first. And for a lot of us in diversity, equity, and inclusion work, the, the first barrier that a lot of underrepresented groups experience is just access. I'm not there. I don't have a chance to be a part of the organization. So, so I'm excited about that. I think what that's also going to do though, for us as well as other organizations that are doing this, is it's gonna push on what we see as kind of our talent profile. So does our talent profile have to be somebody that comes from Amazon or that comes from Facebook or that comes from Google? Or can they be from, let's say, the tech stack of Coca-Cola or Delta Airlines um, or American Airlines? Um, I'm just picking companies that are based in other, in other cities and sure. locations. Can we broaden kind of our, our, our perspective on who can be successful can it be a financial organization? Can we broaden our, our because every company is a tech company nowadays. Right. They may not be a SaaS company, but every company is a tech company in one in one form or another. And so I think that's that's the first opportunity. The second thing to think about will be the experience people have. And and that's a tougher one. That's something actually that myself and some other people at the company have been charged with in terms of trying to create community and culture in a virtual environment. You know, there's a there's a study that I I, I I go to people analytics conferences and I'm really into that. And there's this one that I went to probably about four years ago. And there's a study that Microsoft did on their workforce. And they talked about 
they talked about people's success in the organization based on who they reported to. And what they looked at was the managers, if I reported to you and you had a lot of strong ties in the organization, meaning a lot of strong relationships, I was more likely to be successful than when I worked with another manager who didn't have a lot of strong ties. Okay. And my performance, actually, I was the same human being, but when I moved from one team to another, my performance calibrated based on that. So if I was with, if I was a, a, not a great performer, but under a manager with a not, with, with few strong ties, and then I went to work for you, suddenly I became this great, this great worker. Right. So what that to me is going to is first of all, just the, just the productivity side and the importance of having a lot of relationships throughout the organization. Um, and then also from a fun perspective, you know, I think a lot of people join organizations to create relationships. So what I'm getting at here is that in a virtual first organization, a big challenge, I think, and a big problem that we're trying to work on is how to, how to create relationship deliberately. Because the problem is that the challenge is that I can't do it running into somebody in the cafeteria anymore. It's not going to happen organically. It has to be deliberate. And so there are a few different things that we're, we're, that we're experimenting with. You know, one is that we're, we're doubling down on, on mentoring and actually bringing in a, a product to help manage our relationships. There are a number of products out there. There's one that we work with that, that I've worked with before in previous organizations that's really good. And now we can manage um, mentor, whether it's group mentoring relationships or individual mentoring relationships on a global level. Um, a second thing that we've started to do is we've recognized, and I mentioned this before when we talked, Zach, that in a virtual environment, I, I've strong, I firmly believe that the manager and team are more essential than ever because that's going to be my anchor point. Right. Okay? If I'm not going in, I don't have a chance to run into other people. And so, but I meet with my team on a regular basis. And so we're also really emphasizing the development of our managers. We've started doing quarterly manager summits and we're doubling down on coaching managers on effectiveness going forward because we know that their role is now of outsized importance. It was always important, but in a virtual environment, it's even more important. And then we're trying to get creative. We're looking at launching our first employee-wide internal conference. We've never done one worldwide and we're actually looking at doing it 100% virtual and having a lot of different activities. We also have launched different, what we call vibe committees in different parts of the uh, different parts of the world that actually create on their own and come up with different activities and connection activities that take place regionally. So what we're trying to do is get really deliberate about, about how we create culture. There are lots of toolkits that we've put out and guidance that we've put out for people. You know, And again, the thing that I'll say is that we're doing a lot of preparation. We're putting a lot of thought into this. This is a big experiment. <laughs> you know, right. we're going to see. We're, we're going to see what happens, and we're going to. There'll there'll be some things that I think will be wildly successful. Um, some that won't work out well, and we're going to have to go back and revisit and and improve upon. Um, but but we do know and recognize that manager and relationships are going to be vital, not only to just my productivity, but for me being included and wanting to be a part of an organization. You know. To your point around it, it being an experiment, it is, but it's not like, I don't know. I don't know, Danny. I don't think it's like a huge unknown. And the things that you're, the things that you're stating are a hundred percent spot on. I actually think this, this season has kind of stripped away a lot of the veneers of, um, 
of uh, of of kind of like the the faux community that some of that some some organizations make. Like it's like, look, we're coming here to do a job. We're doing the work, and these these relationships that we have at the grassroots level are the most important. And really, Danny, that's what we've been talking about for a while. Like we've always known people don't quit their jobs; they quit their managers. Like we know it's just it's just now there's less um, fluff to kind of like. Like, like, right, like, like those things are just stripped bare now. Like now we just know, hey, you have to have a really good relationship with your manager. If you're not going in, to your point, uh, to grab the coffee or sit at a desk or chat with so-and-so or go out, walk out to lunch, you just have the work <laughs> and your supervisor. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, as we talk about, as we talk about like DEI and the future of the space, um, you said something and I've been, I've been bragging. I'm, I'm going to keep an eye. I've been bragging. I've been bragging on you, but I've really been bragging on living corporate. I was like, we really got this man to say this on the record. Um, you said, <laughs> you said there needs to be, uh, uh, some fundamental reimagining of like, of these structures for equity over time. So, you know, as you look at where we are today, and again, you know, I recognize Danny that I experienced this world as a um a cisgender black man with a uh, from the south with a wife and a daughter right and so my life experience you know maybe everyone doesn't feel the tension the same way i feel the tension but for me as i look at voting rights legislation being you know up for debates uh the fact that we're you know that again politically we're we're not really investigating uh, the insurrection. Um, you have legislation ha- passing in Texas around, you know, essentially outlawing even talking about racism. I mean, it's all and those that similar legislation is being passed around the United States. You have um, attacks on, uh, you know, Nicole Hannah Jones, uh, Nicole Hannah Jones, um, ramping up like CRT becomes more and more of a buzzword. It feels like this moment that we're in is not sustainable. It doesn't. It feels like something's going to have to give, and I and I bring all these things up just because as as our worlds become less and less divided between personal, political, and and work, um, I it's hard for me to imagine DEI not being impacted by that. And so I'm curious: Do you feel similar tensions? Do you feel as if this is sustainable, or will something have to give? Yeah, I I absolutely uh, agree with you. I think I, I think the last the last four years have have uncovered something. I think the genie's out of the bottle. Now let me put it that way. I I don't think we can go back to how things were. Now, what role does that mean that that we play as 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 organizations? And as individuals working in diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think for us, it's to be able to take kind of what we see. Actually, when I say us, I'm going to I'm going to speak to DEI professionals specifically right now. It's to to take what we see happening externally, and and see what we can do to. Um, to bring that to life and translate it into our environments. So when the tragic events of last summer took place um, with George Floyd, last, split, last, spring and, last spring and summer with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and others, 
Um, what, what that did was that gave us an opportunity to, um, to bring something to light that, that hadn't been brought to light in that way before and to do some things at that moment. And, and actually, I think in a number of cases, um, have some longer term impact. I know that, I know that there's, there's back and forth right now in the industry about whether or not the promises of last summer um, were kept. Um, but I think, again, if I look at what's moved and what's changed and the dialogue that's changed, at least in business, it's not the same as it was before. And I think, I think what this goes to is, is yes, businesses are, are profit-making entities. There's no question about that. But they also do have an ability to, to influence um, in, in kind of outsized ways and different ways than they did in the past. And I think some of that comes from, a lot of it actually comes from the, the talent coming into the workforce. Because I think the talent coming into the workforce has different expectations than when I came up. When I came up, if you get a decent salary, have a boss who treats you relatively nice, have some health care and a retire pl- a retirement plan, that should be your expectation. Okay. And that's and that's good. And and I I don't think it's cliche to say that people are opting in and opting out in different ways than they did in the past, particularly in technology companies where people have the chance to choose often. They can go back and forth and typically they can go across the street and make 20% more tomorrow if they want to. And so what are the other things that, that keep me somewhere? And that's where this kind of unique, I think, engagement um, offers, offers opportunities. So I actually think that, um, that, that, these, that these discussions and these challenges are moving things, but we also have to remember that, that it, will be, it will be hard sometimes, it will be painful, not everyone will agree and will have to be and will have to be brought along and there may be precipitating events at times you know the, the in what we're talking about fun, when we talk about diversity at its fundamental levels act what we're talking about is personal transformation around the concept of ethnocentrism and ethnocentrism mm. is really around the fact that i believe my way of doing things is superior to yours at the core okay and so for me to have for me to have transformation around that requires usually two or three things. Either one, I can be someone who is really into personal growth and engages proactively in personal transformation. And that's great. I tend to be a little bit skeptical and not believe that most people are like that. I think most people tend to be pretty happy with who they are. Um, And so the other way transformation happens is by what my father always referred to, who I learned everything about diversity from, um, my father always referred to it as the burning platform where you have no choice anymore. And so the burning platform can be, can be kind of cataclysmic external events like we've seen, or it can be some, it can be things internally. It can be, okay, I hear this company talking about diversity all the time. Do I really buy in? And if I'm going to stay here now that I have these diversity goals, um, as a manager, does that, can I, can I maintain my belief system? Um, without, can I maintain my belief system with these goals that I now have? And now I have kind of a catalyzing event that forces me to experience personal transformation. So I think I I tend to be a little bit more optimistic about it, 
but I, but I think sometimes what we're underselling in this work is that where the parallel comes with the outside world is that what we're talking about are personal beliefs and attitudes and transforming those. And that's going to be a significant thing for people. It's not something that is, that is light or that I necessarily am able to do after a two hour unconscious bias course. It's something that will take time and constant and interaction in ways that I haven't had with groups that I haven't interacted with in the past. So Danny, you know, like we could talk forever, man. I, I'm trying, <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out, <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out like, you know, what, what I what we did not talk about last time, but I do believe is like an ongoing uh, question and, and there's tension in this as well is just where does DEI sit in the future? Hmm. Some folks have asked me this. I'm, I'm going to give you my take. All right. So um, barring a really super dope relationship between DEI and HR, um, either I, I really believe either DEI should sit separate from HR and report to the CEO, or uh, and then work and then work literally as co- as peers with HR, or that DEI should be the umbrella that HR sits in. I think we still have these challenges where HR, uh, where where the DEI ultimately still reports to HR or reports to legal. I've even seen that in certain contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I don't think that that's, I don't think that's set up for long-term success, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm curious to get your perspective on just like from a, from an org structure perspective is like the most effective. Yeah. So I don't think there's one way for it. That's the first thing that I want to mention. And I had an interesting discussion with somebody recently. They asked me that that'll help kind of frame it, whether or not, whether diversity equity and inclusion, whether it is a, whether it's something that should be a department or whether it's something that's a discipline. Mm. And and I think ultimately it's a discipline. So ultimately it's something that should be embedded within every function. Okay. That, that is the ultimate maturity model for diversity. And so that's, that's, that's where I kind of start with this is I think there's a maturity model with, with diversity where, where I think the first fundamental question before we even get to where it sits is whether or not there should be a separate department for it. I was speaking with somebody in recruiting the other day, for example, and they talked about how, and, and this is somebody who's, um, who's a, a, a significant, she's high up in recruiting in one of, the, one of the large technology companies. And she was talking about how they had tried an experiment with having diversity recruiters. And what happened was that all the other recruiters basically ghettoized it and said, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not recruiting for diversity because that's their job. Okay. So that's, mm. so, so, so that's why the importance of it overall, before we get to even who it reports to is that the ultimate place you want to get is where everybody sees it as their job and it's a part of the discipline. Okay. So that's kind of the first, that's the first fundamental question. But I do think um, in the early stages, in the beginning stages, and even in the and even in the medium stages, that you have to have a a department because they're teaching people the discipline. People don't know the discipline necessarily and aren't asking those questions. So if we aren't, nobody is. So I think you. So so the first thing is that I think you do need a group to focus on it exclusively, um, but with a goal that 
eventually, if you hit the maturity model right, you're embedded in the different parts of the organization. Now, to get to your question initially, which was where does something like this sit? I would say to some extent, again, it depends. So from a practical standpoint, a lot of the a lot of the partners that we have work within the HR function. So a lot of the core functions that at least I interact with to begin with are, and I'm not going in in order necessarily and in, in priority order, but um, but ones that we work with a lot are obviously recruiting. So who we're who we're bringing into the organization and how we're bringing them in. Um, we work with learning and organizational development. So what does our training look like? What does what do our talent management processes look like? Things like calibrations and performance reviews, and are those equitable? Okay, that's again in learning and organizational development. Um, we also have total rewards, so our, our comp and benefits. Are we are we equitably paying people who come into the organization? All of these functions, and then workforce planning is another one. All of these functions sit within the people team at Dropbox. So for me having them as as peers is actually very helpful because i can see the full integration of everything now where i think where where i believe um where i believe it can be very powerful also to report to a ceo is is where you start to have very clear product impact on a regular basis so to me where it's a priority is is something that is a more of I don't know how I don't know how to describe it, but more of a traditional consumer-based companies. So if I'm Coca-Cola, all right, if I'm McDonald's, if I'm somebody like that, I think reporting to the CEO is 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 absolutely vital because there are there are implications for what we're doing on the business side on a regular basis. If I'm a hedge fund, pension funds that invest in us are now asking questions about about who, about what we look like, about what we're doing about diversity, about where we invest our money. So, so depending upon what the stakes are on the business side of the, of the, uh, the business side of the diversity proposition, I think it could be more or less urgent to report to the CEO. For some, I think it's really urgent. For others, it may be, it may be less urgent. Now, of course, with all of this, the reason why I, 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 have an, I have an embedded assumption here, I'm really fortunate um, in that I have a set of partners within, within the people function that have an appetite for diversity. So I didn't have to go and convince anybody that was important. I don't have to, usually when I'm working with them, you know, we, when, I, when I pose to them different ideas, and when I say me, I mean myself or my team members, when we pose to them different, different ideas or different thoughts, they're always they're always receptive. So I'm in a fortunate situation where I think that relationship where I'm reporting to the CEO could also be more urgent is if that's mixed, okay? Because then we're talking about kind of a power dynamic. I don't want to be somebody's peer. I may need to have more authority. So if I don't have peers that have an appetite for it, then I think that becomes more important um, if I'm trying to move something for the first time. So so that all that's to say is I think. You kind of have to evaluate the situation a little bit and see how important it is to you, for you if you're a D, if you're a diversity, equity, and inclusion professional. And at least from my point of view, it's not all it's not all created equal. It depends a little bit on on where you are, where the organization is, where the peers are, and their appetite for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what the business does. Okay, what the business does that also 
starts to create the urgency that I actually report to the CEO and I'm sitting around with the salesperson, with the manufacturing person, with these people where diversity is honestly a question front and center. I love it. You know what, Danny, man, when you come on, I know you said, you know, you're, you're a lawyer by trade, but like, you know, you're talking and it's like, you're, but it's, it's, it's authentic though. You know what I mean? I, I really appreciate it because I don't know. Some folks have come on and I'm like, man, you just, you laying it on, you know what I mean? <laughs> you got to back up, man. I, I can smell it from here. You got to back up. But no, I love, I love, I love it. And I appreciate, um, I appreciate you coming by. Now look, Danny, um, you know, you're a friend of the show. Uh, we appreciate you. I hope that you feel comfortable coming by again, you know, because you, you talk about this experiment and I do think it again early, this whole thing as we as we transition to this this new way of of living and being and working. And, you know, we're going to just have to see where folks are. I, I wonder what's a good milestone. I wonder where things are going to be next spring. Yeah, yeah, that's a really great question. I think as things open up, I, I think the first so the first thing is us hitting kind of thresholds with the vaccine. Um, I think the second threshold will be people coming into the office. And I think with different companies, you're probably going to see people coming to the office starting. Uh, I mean, it's happening now in some places, but in, in, in a large part, really July through September is I think you'll see return to work. And then we'll start to see how things shake out. The thing that I'm excited about also is that you're going to have people opt in and opt out. And that was one of the things that I wanted to mention about virtual first is that there are going to be some people. So there. There are employees that I've interviewed who have said, boy, we can't wait to come to Dropbox because it's virtual first. And I can go and I can spend one month in Spain. I can spend one month in, in Park City, Utah, and I can spend one other month in, in Dallas in addition to living at my home. And they're really excited about that lifestyle and how they can do things. I've also had other people who work at Dropbox who have decided to leave because they said, one person said to me, you know, I'm... Um, I'm, I'm in my early twenties. I'm in my mid twenties. I really, really, really want an office social life. And, and so that's something that's important to me. And so she decided to move to another organization where she felt like she could have more of that. So I think what you're going to see over the next, uh, over the next few months is a lot of, um, what I refer to as trade volume. So you're going to see a lot of people moving in and out and choosing with their feet and then probably things starting to settle out towards the end of the year and by the time you get to spring. I think people, the other thing that I think is, is, is important is people are revisiting their, their, what I refer to as pathways. You know, we all had a set of pathways, Zach, that existed pre-pandemic, where I went to the grocery store, where I hung out with my friends, the hobbies that I had, um, everything else, the way I connected with my family, we had all of that. And then all of that abruptly stopped. We had a huge kind of reset where we created a whole set of pathways to adjust to the pandemic. And now everybody's going to be creating a new set of pathways. And, and as they create those new set of pathways, what they're looking for in the workplace may be different. You know, and we're making a bet that the virtual, for, virtual first workplace will be, will be an attractor for people. You know, that, that's, that, that's our bet. We decided to be really specific about that. And you can see even though, like you said, a lot of companies initially said everybody's coming back into the office, now they're starting to say, well, maybe three days a week or, right. or maybe two days a week, or you can be flexible because all the surveys are coming back saying, I don't want to commute three hours a day anymore. Okay. I'm right. done with that. And, and I, I would rather spend, the, spend that time working out, 
seeing my infant doing something else than being on in San Francisco, being on BART. Okay, that's our public transportation system. Yes, Bay uh, Area wide. So, so you're going to see a lot of people choosing different things, and we decided to to really take kind of a, a specific position on that. Um, and I think we'll start to see the what kind of grows what kind of grows out of that um, towards the end of the year, and certainly by spring. But Zach, I always enjoy uh, coming and joining you. So anytime, anytime you want, as long as the people don't get don't get bored with you and I talking, I'm happy. I'm happy to join anytime you want. Oh, no, it's, it's never that. Look, numbers is popping out here with your last name. <laughs> uh, so we appreciate you. Uh, Danny, uh, look, we're going to have you back. And, uh, man, shout out to everything you're doing. And uh, we'll talk soon, man. Okay. Thanks, Zach. Peace. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network, hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards, The leadership range is focused on having real, raw, soulful and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out the leadership range everywhere you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Yo, shout out to Danny Geary. Shout out to Dropbox, all the dope stuff that they're doing. I want to make sure that y'all click the links in the show notes. Make sure y'all connect with Danny. Learn about what Dropbox has going on. It's not even an ad. You know what I'm saying? It's just just off the love, man. Like tech is the future. Uh, black folks in different industries right now. You know, I'm coming from consulting. So I tell people all the time because I don't, and I know a lot of black consultants listen to Living Corporate. Listen, if you were ever to exit and go to industry, now is the time. The market's on fire. You need to make sure that you're exiting now. All right. Take advantage. Right. There's plenty of really cool opportunities out there to do some work that you actually want to do and get a bag. All right. Make sure you check out some merch, livingcorporate.shop and uh, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts if you haven't. All right. Catch you next time. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.